so glad you're here today. Do me a favor, uh, it, it, just lock in with me. I know it's kind of tough if you're maybe a first-time guest here and you were here because of baby dedication and you're on kind of part, part four of a series. I promise you something good will come of it. Um, if you're interested, I would encourage you to go to nbchurch.tv and you can watch parts one, two, and three and catch you up. And it, it was a really fantastic series. As a matter of fact, in week one, we talked about how Jesus defined the definition of love, that our culture for the most part, defines love as a, as a noun, doesn't it? Like it's something we fall into, fall out of. It's a feeling that we got. It's a thing. Sometimes it's mystical. Like, because don't we take the leap sometimes to like, remember when you're dating and you take the leap from like, well, I like you to I, I really, ca- I really care about you. And then to like, I love you. And it's got this funny thing in our culture, doesn't it? We're like, it's a big, it's a big step in the relationship where we say the words, I love you. And and the reason why it sometimes feels like it has that mystical thing on there is because we think love is a noun. It's a thing that we have finally captured. But Jesus said that the key to staying in love was not to capture something mystical, but was rather to do something practical. So he said, here's what you need to know about love. Love's not a noun. Love is a what? Love is a verb. So like when he says love your spouse or love one another, he's not saying find the mystical feeling that, you know, many times leaves. Depending on what your season of life is, it comes and goes. It has, and then he said, I don't want you to think about it in terms of a mystical feeling. I want you to think about it in terms of like, what are you doing? So I want you to stop feeling the feeling. And I, I want you to start doing the doing. That, that's where love is really found. And so I want you to actually do things, verb things, get to action-based things that will make that other person feel love. Because as long as it stays in the realm of mystical, you're going to have a hard time. Staying in love. As a matter of fact, in week two, we discovered what that actually meant. And how you do that is you actually, this sounds crazy. If, 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 you're, not, if you're not a Christian today, what I'm going to say sounds really weird. But this is what Jesus, this is what the Bible prescribes. The Bible prescribes that to have great, long-lasting, awesome marriage is that both people should look at each other and should see the other person as more important than them. To which there's a lot of kickback. If you're not a Christian and you didn't go, you go to church or go to read the Bible, that, that would be foreign. You would say, well, they would take advantage of me. And I'd say, yeah, absolutely they would. But that's the point. The point is that two people that make the other person more valuable than themselves, that makes stupid, crazy love. That makes obnoxious love. Like, I can't believe how much they love each other. It's like it's always turned on. It's always lovey-dovey. It's they, they get to the door. It's like, no, you go first. No, no, you go first. No, no, you go first. No, no, you are more, no, you're more important than me. No, 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 you're more important than me. It's like the stupid, like, no, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. Stop it. Somebody hang up. Somebody get in the door. Stop acting like that. But if you've ever had that, you know, it's something powerful. And Jesus said, that's the way that you, that's the way you stay in love a lifetime. Last week, it's so good. This was a little more complicated. We talked about like how no matter how much you love one another, how many know we're still human beings and so we're still flawed? You know, as, as good as she looks, as handsome as he is, as charming as she is, as, 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 as funny as he is, whatever it is, there are going to be eventual gaps, right? Because we all make mistakes. We're all human. We're all battling the sin issue. We are all carrying our baggage. And so eventually there will be a, a gap, right? There'll be this kind of sliver between what I expected when I got home or expected in this relationship or expected out of that other person and what I actually got. And the question that you have to ask yourself is this, where does your mind naturally go when you find yourself disappointed? Because people that assume the worst, their marriage is headed in a downward spiral. But people who, and it's not natural for most of us. I talked to a couple this week. They were like, that was me. She was so happy. She was so proud. She's like, that was me. I'm the person that always assumes the best. 
I'm like, clearly you feel that way about everything. And so she was so happy about it. And I really was so, so proud to hear that. But that ain't most of us. Can I get a, a what? What can? Yeah, that ain't most of us. Most of us are the think negative, assume the worst. Oh, my God, I can't believe that's just what I said you would do. Can you believe her? Her mom's like that, too. That's where we go. We go into the realm of the negative. But great marriages, they train themselves because it's not natural. They train themselves to whenever there's a gap, they give that person the benefit of the doubt. They judge them favorably and assume the best until they have every reason not to. Does that make sense? Assuming the best will put your basically will renew your mind towards your spouse. It's amazing. So anyway, final week. Now, most weeks when we do a series, especially something like a three or four week series like this, most of the times there's a buildup. And then the very last week is very, very practical. And that's going to hold true today because what I'm going to give you is very, very practical. But everybody say, but we're going to get into something that's going to be dicey. We're going to get into something that's going to make some of you uncomfortable. We're going to get into something that may make some of you relive something from your past. It, it, it might bring up some, some, it might peel the scab off an old wound. It's, it's going to be difficult, but I want you to hang with me here. And here's why. It's because I'm going to, if nothing more, prepare you for the future. For those of you who are single out here, you need to be taking really good notes. For single people, marriage series are the best. Because if you will get this stuff rooted in you before you're married, you will save yourself just tons and tons of, of, of pressure or heartache or argument or whatever it is. And so today, I want to talk to you about what Jesus said may very well be a deal breaker. It's a deal breaker. When Jesus was questioned... On the subject of divorce, and we're not going to talk, talk about divorce today, but he was questioned on the subject of divorce. He said, you know, can you just divorce your wife for anything or how's that work or the law says this? And he gets caught up into a cultural debate. It's actually it, it's pretty fascinating. I have a whole sermon on it in the back if you want to go pick that up. Um, but what Jesus slips in there is this idea that there is sometimes something that possibly could but doesn't have to be. A deal breaker. He said, actually, Moses said you guys could get divorced because you got hard hearts. I mean, that's ultimately what it is. And he said that you have to actually give your wife a certificate of divorce because you need to honor her, respect her dignity, and reputation and make sure she's taken care of, which was radical in their day. But the bigger picture was this, is that Jesus said, the only reason that I can see that divorce is ever something that's just like, OK, I get it, is in the realm of sexual immorality. It's in the realm of adultery. It's in the realm of unfaithfulness. He said it could be that that might be a thing that some people might not be able to recover from. But outside of that, two people that believe in God, you need to fix, work it out, go get some counseling, keep trying, keep praying, keep believing. And if you'll do all the things we've already talked about, you will be well on your way. But I, here, here's what I know, though. I know that if you're doing everything we've already talked about, for the most part, your marriage is going to be on an upward spiral. I believe that. I believe the Bible's true and it works. It's, it's, it's spot on. But sometimes we ain't always tracking with Jesus, are we? Sometimes we're not always tracking with church. Sometimes our, our life isn't always the way that we wanted it to be, dreamed it up to be, and it's not working out the way that we wanted it to be. And so there's these gaps, aren't they? And in these gaps, you're going to have a possible temptation that Jesus said could be a deal breaker. Does that make sense? He's, and here's what I want to do. I want to prepare you for that because I never, ever, ever want you to get to a place where you are so kind of disappointed in your marriage or things didn't work out and I'm so distracted or I'm so caught up in my own junk that having an affair, having an adulterous affair would ever be a possibility. I want to protect you from that. So today we're going to talk about avoiding the deal breaker. Let's pray before we begin. Father, I pray that you would help me 
to speak with compassion, to speak with wisdom. God, I pray that you would help those who are listening, Lord God. For some of these, they have been affected by it either through their parents or their own life or a past relationship. And so, guys, hard, heal. Heal our hearts, Lord God. Heal our, our wounds, God. Be our strength and our rock today, God. But for some of us, God, that's, that, that's not the case. But we need to be prepared. We need to be wise. We need to be setting boundaries. God, we need, God, speak to us today. Help us to avoid that potential deal breaker, God. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. If you have your Bible, I want you to go to the book of 2 Samuel. Because I'm going to show you how this stuff works. Because the, the Bible, although it was written thousands and thousands of years ago, and the people in the Bible, though they lived thousands and thousands of years ago, their life is not all that too different than yours. The names changed a lot because they had weird names back then. And the places changed and the culture changed a little bit. But, I mean, there's still some things about men and women that have never, ever, ever changed. Can I get a, uh-huh? So, so... In the book of Samuel, if you'll throw it up on the screen, I want you to read along as we work through this dialogue. And it's a story that is very, very familiar to us, at least in title, although we may not know the details. It is a story that we refer to as David and Bathsheba. Which is funny because she was in a bath. Um, The Bible says in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah and David or but David. Everybody say but. But David, he wasn't there. He remained in Jerusalem. It happened. Everybody say it happens. It happened. Late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman taking a bath. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman and said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came back to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself and, and her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. Verse 5. And the woman... Oh, no. This has got this went from bad to oh, my goodness. And the woman conceived and sent and told David what I. I got pregnant. This is kind of the opening of the story. Now, this is daytime television level stuff right here, isn't it? Like there's some there's some drama up in here because we have a king. And what the, what's fascinating is that the Bible actually kind of lays it out on purpose. The writer of these scriptures lays it out on purpose because he says, hey, in the springtime, when kings should be out to war doing what kings do, David didn't do what he should have been doing. He wasn't where he should have been. He actually sent his number two, Joab, out to do the battle for him. Because David stayed at home. And for whatever reason, David had gotten outside of his divine purpose, the purpose that God, who made David the king? God did. But he had forgotten that. He had forgotten what God had done for him, who God was for him, what God had called him to do. And he's just kind of getting bored. And what do you do when you're not really fulfilling your purpose in life, the God-given purpose? You get antsy. You get bored. You get distracted. You get curious. You get like, hmm. And you start, it's almost like one of those like direct TV commercials. You know what happens when you don't go out as a king? You get bored. You know what happens when you get bored? You walk around on the roof. You know what happens when you walk around the roof? You see naked ladies. You know what you do when you see naked ladies? You go, you know. Don't kill Uriah the Hittite. Don't let that happen to you. We could make a commercial out of this. When you're not doing what you ought to be doing, 
you get bored, you get distracted, you get curious, you get and you walk up on rooftops. Now, here's what's fascinating is that most times when people read this scripture, David gets a bad rap and Bathsheba seemingly appears to be a victim. I'm going to tell you that is not the case, that these are co-conspirators in this story. And, and here's why. Um, Bathsheba ain't stupid. Um, it was a big deal to live as close to the palace as you could. It would be like where your property value has the most potential for growth. Um, even in Jerusalem, people actually wanted to live as close as they could to the temple. People really bought high-end burial plots because they believed that the resurrection of the dead, they'd have a shorter distance to walk to get to Jerusalem. <laughs> so to, you got a glorified body, but you can't walk that far? Okay. Um, so so re, I mean, real estate matters. Location, location, location. And so Bathsheba... And her husband, Uriah the Hittite, have some prime real estate because their real estate is so close to the palace that apparently just from the top of the rooftop, you can see naked folk. And not just like, God, I think she's naked. Because, you know, like. If, now, now I, I, I need to get glasses. I don't know if I, I told you this or not. So, like, if I ever do this, you don't have to be that far away, but I might be like, who is that? OK, David apparently had some really good eyes, but it wasn't like he was Superman eyes. She was close enough to the palace that he could see her being naked and notice like that's just not like a naked blur. She's hot. Do you see how do you see the proximity now? Like picture this as really happening. Okay, that's close to see some curvature. Okay, now here's why Bathsheba is not the victim that many times she's played out to be. She knew exactly what she was doing. And she was doing it on purpose. She was in a position to where she was on the opposite end of the spectrum. She was the desperate housewife. I'm alone. I'm bored. I ain't getting no loving. I ain't getting no attention. Uriah is basically a mercenary. He's a Hittite. These aren't even, most people don't even think that Bathsheba was Jewish. She was a foreigner as well. And she was getting antsy. And she was getting bored. She's like, maybe I'll just go up to the roof. Maybe David some. Because to be in the royal family was a big deal. To be in the palace would have been a big deal. To get the attention of King David would have been a really big deal. So you're like, I've been working out. I just got off my 21-day Daniel fast. The curves are looking good. I'm going to go, go take a little bath on the rooftop. And so, lo and behold, do you see the dynamic here? She knew exactly where her home was positioned in, 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 in relation to the palace. And she knew that if she got up her bathtub on the roof and got naked on the roof that clearly it would be obvious because in their day it would have been shameful to be naked in public. Does that make sense? It would have been shameful. Okay, that's still pretty shameful unless you're up in San Francisco on a weird day, okay? They got some weird days up there. They they, they won't roll like that. But now I'm going to tell you part of the story because what happens is this, is that clearly David goes ahead and summons her. Okay, here's what happens though. He sends a messenger to go and a servant of the palace to go get her. Now, now, how many know like there's a water cooler somewhere and people talk and people are aware that David has sent for Bathsheba. And it's a small community. This isn't like it was it was secretive. People found out. OK, so David, the Bible says, lays with her, which is code for yes. And so. So so the Bible says that she got pregnant. So David devises a plan. How do I cover this up? 
I've got to take care of my business. I got, I'm, I'm the king. I can't just, you know, whatever. I'm going to have to make that go away. So he calls for Uriah, who was with Joab on the battlefield. He goes, I know what I'll do. I'll just go get the husband to come home. Once he comes home, he'll want to have sex with his wife. That'll just kind of cover up the whoopsie. And then that will make sure everything just kind of goes away. Well, I'm telling you, if I had enough time to break down the text, I could show you. Uriah knew what was going on. It wasn't like Uriah was dumb. See, in their day, a, 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 a king in that part of the world would pretty much do whatever they wanted to do and take whatever they would want to do. Now, not necessarily a Jewish king who was living by God's standards, but a Mediterranean king that was typical for them just to do what they want, take what they want. And literally what they would do is they would take your wife from you and then just pay you some money for it. But David didn't want to do that. David wanted just to go away. So he said, Uriah, come home and then, you know, go, go see Bathsheba. And then it'll all be covered up. Uriah, and we don't know exactly why, either he was so hacked off at David or didn't appreciate the amount of money that was being offered or how David went about it. He said, oh, we are rolling like that. As a matter of fact, let me show you how this is going to work. I'm going to sleep out on the palace steps so that everybody knows I'm not going to be, to be with my wife. You're going to have to handle this the right way. And so David's like, well, fine. Two can play it this way. Why don't you? And eventually he tries to, like, there's another night. And he's like, let me see if I can get him really drunk. Maybe if I can get him drunk enough, he'll go home and be with his wife. That doesn't work. So finally he's like, you know what, here's what I'll do. I'm just going to send him back to the battlefield. So he sends Uriah back to the battlefield, but he also sends word to Joab. And he says, hey, wherever the hottest part of the battle is, where people are going to die the most, put Uriah there and put him right up on the front. And so sure enough, Joab sends Uriah into battle. He is killed. He is basically murdered by war through the hands of David. What's fascinating is that point where Uriah is dead, it would be totally fine for me to go ahead and just adopt Bathsheba as one of my wives. And so she goes ahead, comes into the palace, and then it seems like David has gotten away with this. Until God, see here's what you've got to remember, is that God knows. God sees all things. David has gotten away with nothing. Even though he may have covered it up or it looks like he's in the clear, God always sees, God always knows. And so God sends a prophet by the name of Nathan. Everybody say Nathan. And this is now Nathan says a lot, but let me get to the point. He says in verse number nine, why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil? Everybody say evil to do what is evil in his sight. You have struck down your eye, the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. You have to remember that although it was OK for a Mediterranean king to do what he wants, take what he wants, to take another man's wife, that that might have been OK in culture. That does not mean that it is OK with God. Are you hearing me? There are some things that we begin to normalize in our culture just because it's normal. Don't make it right. OK, let, let, let me help you. In certain tribes, in certain parts of the distant, remote parts of the world, it is OK for you to eat your neighbor. That is normal to them. That'll make it right. Are you, are you hearing me? Some of y'all have a car that is so janky and bootleg that, that you have to give instructions to, to your friend if you loan them your car. Does that make sense? Like, you got to be okay, now whatever you don't, don't roll down this window. And you got to make sure when you go start the engine, you got to shake this, but you got to jingle this, and you got to pump this all at the same time. And so like, and then, and if that don't work, listen, all you got to do is go around the hood, and you got to stick this screwdriver right here and turn, and then, and then go back around and do the, now remember, you got to do the shake here, the jingle here, and the foot thing here, and you're set, okay? And you do it mindlessly, don't you? You just get in there and like, and it just starts back up. You know why? Because you have normalized your janky car. 
Okay, just because it's normal, don't make it right. Everybody say that with me. Just because it's normal. You know, we need to get together and say, just because it's normal, don't make it right. And we live in a culture that is way too casual about that. Well, everybody's doing it. Well, don't you know? I had, I had a certain conversation. I've actually had this a couple of times now. There are certain cultures where the, the, the mom told the young married daughter, hey, that's just what they do. Better deal with it. Whoa, 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 whoa. It ain't right. Okay? It is a big deal. It doesn't happen to everybody. Not everybody's doing it. It's not okay. And God's not, you know, wiping that away because he understands you have needs. Okay? Let me help you understand. It is a severe thing. Let me tell you what Solomon said about it. Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 32. The Bible says, but a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. And whoever does so destroys himself. A man who commits adultery lacks judgment. This is a very nice way of saying you're stupid. Yeah. I, look, don't get mad at me. I would never say that to you. I'm really nice. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says you lack judgment. The, the, it, really what it's talking about is this, is you're not thinking right. You have lost your ability to see clearly, to think clearly and to make a wise and sound decision. You, you, you lack judgment here. And I'll tell you what you're not thinking. You, you're no longer thinking about God. You're not. Clearly, if you were thinking about God, this would be something that you would take off the table. Let me tell you what else you're not, you're not thinking about your spouse. Because you don't know how hurtful this is, apparently. Or if you do, you, you stop caring. Either way, it's bad. You know you're not thinking about? You're not thinking about your kids. You're not. Because they're going to be hacked off. They're going to be disappointed. Hey, you know what you're not thinking? You're not thinking about your reputation, are you? Because that's going to follow you. That's who you are. Does that make sense? You know what you're not thinking? You're not thinking about your finances. Yeah. I, I, I got a divorce lawyer friend. He'll tell you. You're not thinking about your finances. You're not thinking about your future. In this life or the life to come. Solomon's saying when you're so caught up in the moment, when the temptation is there and you are tempted to go make that type of decision, clearly in that moment, if you move forward, you are not thinking clearly. And what you don't know is that you are actually going to destroy yourself. It is a big deal. Can I, can I say that? The Bible says in the New Testament that God will judge the adultery. It, it's a big deal. It's not a light thing. It's not just because some cultures normalize it does not make it. Okay. And I want you to be aware of this. I want you to I, I, listen to me. I, I want to be the prophet Nathan in your life. Nathan, the Bible says, shows up to David who thinks he has gotten away with it, who has no conscious issues with it or conviction issues with it. He thinks everything is just dandy. And he is so dumb to the notion of what he has done that Nathan tells him a story and a little bit of a parable. And he actually tells the parable in such a way that David gets mad and he gets so mad. He's like, who is the guy that would do such a thing like that? And Nathan said, it's you, you dummy. It's you. You're the one who lacked judgment. Who wasn't thinking in the time and is now destroying himself. And he literally, the Bible says, brought judgment upon himself and his household. Because of the action that he had committed. I, I want to be the prophet Nathan. Listen to me. I want to be that to shake you. To rattle you. To challenge you. To convict you. Yes, I want you to feel that. I am okay with that today. Normally, I, I'm nice. Okay? Normally, I'm a pretty good guy. Today, I, I really want to get in your face. Okay? This is the reality. I don't want you to destroy your life. Because what you don't remember is that there's collateral damage when this thing happens. 
It ain't just about you. It ain't just about one moment. It ain't just about one time, one thing. Whoops, it's not about that. This thing has collateral damage that's levy. And so I want to protect you from that. Now, again, here, here's what I find to be really the roots of adultery. The things that, you know, when, when you go beyond the moment of temptation, here's what you're going to find at the core of, the, of, of what's going on in the person. Number one is this, is, is at the core, you've probably got an unhappy and discontent marriage. Not always, but many times and most times there's a discontent and unhappy marriage. And so because you're not satisfied at home and things aren't good at home and, and they're not meeting your needs, emotional needs, physical needs, you're not getting all those things taken care of. And so you have wandering eyes, you have a longing heart, something is unsatisfied within you. And so when somebody else starts giving you that attention, it feels good. Be aware. Number two is this, is, is, is you, there are some dudes, the, the, the marriage is not even that bad. You've got an out of control lust issue. I guarantee you pornography is a part of this scenario. You got worked up images in your mind and that's not what happened at home because that ain't real anyway, by the way. But uh, you got this out of control lust issue like this, this, this need that you. No, no, no. There's something going on here. Number three is this. You have a lack of moral conviction. It might be all three. It might be one or two. It might. I don't know what your combination might be, but I know this is what every time I have a conversation, every time I get that face to face. Somewhere at the root of that mistake, that decision, or lack thereof, good decision. It was rooted in something going on here where our heart was drawn away. Our heart was led astray. And I'm telling you, there's something in us that, that needs to be satisfied. Here, here's, and here's how it works. Let me, let me, let's work this out practically. Okay, so here's what's going to happen in your life. So marriage isn't doing real good. I'm on Facebook. Oh, look. So-and-so from high school, we used to date, wonder how they're doing. Check their marriage status, first thing your eyes go to. What's their status? Ooh, they're single. Hey, what are you doing? Long time, no time. You get, and all of a sudden, one thing leads to another, and you get caught up in an emotional deal. And all of a sudden, they're really, really sweet, and your spouse isn't. And they're really, really kind, and your spouse, they're really, really interested, and your spouse isn't. The other way that it works, this is this, it, it, it could be like the office thing, it could be the gym thing, it could be the like just in a social environment. And all of a sudden there, there's a look. You know what I'm talking about? I can't, I'm so out of shape with it. I don't know how to do the look. Delano, show me the look. I'm just kidding. The Lord has blessed you with the look. There's a look. And all of a sudden eyes meet across the room. You know, and you feel good because you're like, I don't remember the last time my husband was just checking me out. Or I remember the last time my wife thought I looked good or whatever it was. And you're like, oh, she thinks I'm cute or he thinks I'm good looking. Or he's a longing eyes. <laughs> then, then, then if, if it progresses, there, there's a subtle touch. Is it there? There's like a and, and, and this happened to me at the gym. This is a long time ago. And um, and I'm at the gym and and I say something because I'm next to like a what are those things called elliptical thing. Least amount of work you can do, probably. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Just a little, little ago. He's barely working up a warm-up. And so, um, you know, she says something, and then I say something, and he wasn't even funny. She's like, ah, ha, 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 ooh. And, uh, okay, that last part was a, a little bit of an exaggeration. There's not a lot there to grab. But, but it was kind of like, ah, and I'm like, what are you doing? Don't touch me. Um, and I literally I went and told my wife. I'm like, hey, babe. I think that girl was flirting with me. She's like, who? Who? I will cut somebody. Uh, and, and so she was. She was. She was literally like, who? Which one? Which one is it? Tell me. There's a parking lot. You know, so 
Um, so there's a, there's a, there's a look, there's a, there's a touch. Then there's some innocent flirting, you know, then there's, then there's like the, well, Hey, you want to go grab coffee? You know, it just, it just one thing kind of leads to the other. And so I'm telling you, whenever you have the discontent marriage going on, you, you mix that with maybe, well, maybe the marriage is not even that bad, but you just got an out of control lust issue and you love the fact that somebody's giving you, or you just lack the moral conviction to know that this is great evil. This is what the prophet said. What you have done is great evil. Joseph said the same thing when he was tempted to, to commit adultery with Potiphar's wife. He said, how could I commit this great evil? It is, it is an evil act. Are you hearing me? You need to just be careful because these are all the little things that begin to culminate and build. You got a discontent at home, out of control, lust issue, or just lack of moral conviction. Here's what I want you to do. I want to prepare you and equip you. And again, you're single. You need to take good notes and remember these things. If you're early on in your marriage, put these things and install these things in right now. If, you're, if you've been down the road a long time, build in what you know needs to be built in. If there's been issues in the past, go back. Protect your marriage at all costs. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you seven steps and we're going to move forward. Seven steps to a fair proof in your marriage. Are you ready? Number one is this. Let's keep dating your wife. Your wife. Um, I, I, put, I, put, I could have said spouse. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to put a little bit on the man to say you need to initiate this. Okay? Like wives, you initiate too. But I'm putting a little bit of responsibility. In. Initiate that. Keep dating your wife. As a matter of fact, thou shalt honor the date night and keep it holy. Okay? Thus saith the, the Todd. And so, <laughs> honor the date night and keep it holy. Y'all want to hear something crazy? So, check, check this out. It just made me think, that, thus saith the Lord thing. In 1611, did y'all know that King Charles issued um, a thousand Bibles to be printed? This is like 16-something. Well, I, Bible printing had not been, you know, fine-tuned at that point. So, it was still some rough edges in the art of... of, of book printing and, and mass production of, of printing books. And so a guy started printing these books and, and, and these Bibles and literally a thousand of them got printed and they didn't recognize this. But in Exodus 20, when it says thou shalt not commit adultery, it actually forgot to put the no in there or the not in there. And it actually read thou shalt commit adultery. And it was referred to as the wicked Bible. And King and King Charles made an issue that the guy have his license revoked he was fined an entire uh, life's worth of wages. He was fined. And I think he might have been thrown in prison for a short time, too. So, like, he really got hosed on this. Deal, all for one mistake. Does that make sense? Like, but the Bible, and there's only, they, he ordered them to be burned, but 11 of them got kind of, like, kept preserved. There's 11 of them still in print today. It's called the Wicked Bible. And if you read it, it says, thou shalt commit. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, so, thou shalt honor the date night and keep it holy. Whenever, listen to me. When you have a built-in... Now, you could even say, but Todd, I don't feel... I don't care what you feel like. This, remember, we talked about this. We're going to verb somebody. We're going to feel somebody. So, I, I, if you have that built-in... Now, again, if you've got little kids, I know it can be hard. But as, as... Listen, here's the answer. How often should I do this? As much as you can. If you can, at least once a week. And if you've got little kids, and it should be two, at least once a month. Like, as much as you can. And even, even if we're not getting along... At most, when you're not getting along. Does that make sense? Is, is forcing you guys to get into an environment where you can be together and hang out together. That, that's step number one. Obviously, these things are going to build a little bit. Number two is this. Initiate affection. Initiate affection. There is something to uh, human beings and the way that God designed us. God has designed you for physical touch. And I'm not talking about just the, um, you know, David and Bathsheba kind of physical touch. I'm talking about th- there's something that we need. We need touch. We need to be able to hold hands. 
we need to cuddle and it not be the best you got at foreplay. Does that make sense? Like cuddling with that not expected at the end of the day. I just saw a wife look at her husband. Uh Um, I know you, don't I? I know you. Um, So like, we, 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 here, here, let me, let me prove you this is so true. Remember when you were dating? Remember we talked about the whole love thing? Like you're like, I like you. I really care about you. I, I love you. Um, I, actually, in between, there's another step where like, I love spending time with you. That's the worst. That's a slap in the face. And so, but touching is the same way too, though. Like I remember our first date, me and my wife, and, and there was just a little bit of like touching on the arm. It was just a little, a little bit of touch. And then you move to like, are we going to hold hands? Like, are we going to do this? Are we going to hold hands right away? Like, and so we're walking. And there's, there's different levels of hand-holding, too. Because there's a cuppage, just a cup. That's like uh, hand-holding for beginners. It's baby steps. But when the relationship progresses, eventually you'll do one of these. That is intimate hand-holding. And you felt it go up a notch when they did that, didn't you? You're like, oh, it just went there. We long for physical touch. Okay, single people, y'all erase whatever I just said there. Not y'all, okay? Married folk, you need physical touch. I want you to cuddle, handhold, do, do things that initiate affection. Uh, number three is what happens when you do this enough. Number three is have sex regularly. Okay. Y'all like didn't know what to do there, did you? are like... Should I amen? I, I, I don't know what to do. He's talking about sex at church. I know. I know. Listen, listen. I, I, I like talking about this at church. Uh, I don't, we, we don't do it a lot, apparently, or, or enough, based on your response. But um, let, me, let, me, let me help you why this is important to talk about at church. If you're like, oh, God, I can't believe you went there. Let me tell you why. Because the world constantly talks about it. And, and the world has nothing to say, but they are great at saying it. The church has everything to say, and they either don't say it or they say it poorly, okay? We, we need to talk about this because this is something that God came up with. This is a God idea. I don't know if you knew that or not. Like, this was something like we, like, forgot, stumbled into. Adam and Eve were like, hey, what's that? No, 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 no. <laughs> this is something that God designed. So it's okay to talk about, you know, with, within the right context. So don't, this is not going on in threes and fours and babies and crawlers right now. This is just for the grown-ups, Okay. It needs to be talked about. You know, the Bible actually says this. I need to read this for you. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians. It says, do not deprive each other. Some about sex. Uh, except perhaps, he says perhaps. Like, I mean, maybe. Um, perhaps by mutual consent. That means, everybody say both. That means if it's just your idea, we don't care. Um, by mutual consent, and just for a short period of time, like even if y'all mutually do it, like be smart and don't take too long to do this, this would be for prayer and fasting, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again, so, everybody say, so that. This is how much Paul knows you. So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Here's just what I, I, I know, and here's, I'll at least give you a guy's opinion. I don't know what a wife would say. I think some wives would agree, some wives maybe not. I, I don't know. You guys are totally wired different than I am. Um... Let me explain this, how this works. How can I say this in, in... I'm trying to be nice. Okay, let me put it like this. The longer I go without having sex, the more attractive the opposite sex becomes. Did I say that clear enough? And it's just the truth. I, I have... 
some wiring issues up in here and, and I'm wired to be a certain way. And, and sure enough, when this is when this is going great in my home, like women could be all around me and it wouldn't even get my attention. But, you know, let it go too many days, too many weeks, too long a time period. And then all of a sudden, like everybody looks pretty good. You know, like I can find beauty in everyone. You think you're all pure. You're not. You're, you're you know, you you need to have this going on regularly at home. So when that's so that's satisfied enough to where, like, it's not even issued for me to go looking for it somewhere else. So, like, let me let me help you out here. Never, ever, ever use sex as a form of manipulation. Stop it. You're you're, you're leading yourself in a downward spiral and an unhealthy relationship. And you are pushing the other person towards committing an affair. I'm telling you, you make sure that you honor the marriage bed and keep it holy. Somebody say, OK. Um, number four, share a common interest. Share a comment. I'm telling you, you know, we're already on date night and being affectionate and having sex. And just so you know, too, like, ladies, if you're unsure about that whole sex thing, like, I don't know. It's because I have this in marriage counseling and pre-marriage counseling. Like, how much is enough? Like, how many times a week? Or and I get this. I, I, I get because some of you don't know. The answer is, is that men will always want to have sex on a day that starts with a T. If you're ever unsure. So you have Tuesdays. And you have Thursdays and then you have today and then you have tomorrow. And so if you're ever if you are ever unsure, just go with the T, the T method and you will never, ever, ever like, is it is it is it today? Yeah, it's today. So. So so you're already doing all that stuff with a you're doing a good job. But I also want you to share a common interest like. Do life together. Do stuff together. Go have fun together. It's, 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 it's not a good sign if we see couples that only are together when they have to be. But when it comes to like just going and having fun and enjoying life, they immediately go in other directions. Well, I've got my sport and my hobby and my thing and my buddies. And I've got she's got her sport and her hobby and her things and her her gal pals. And uh, I said gal pals. Um, and so. And they use, and then all of a sudden you reconvene at the end of the night or you reconvene on the weekends or you reconvene. No, 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 no. Have something that you go do constantly together. Some type of shared interest. Everybody say, all right. Number five is this. This is going to get specific. Everybody say establish boundaries. Okay, good. Uh, let's try that again. Everybody say this. Everybody say establish boundaries. Okay, here, here's why. Um, no man given the right temptation is, is so great that he can't overcome it. Does that make sense? Like given the right scenario, the right issues. So you know what you do? This is why when you drive through the mountains, how many of you get nauseous when you drive through the mountains? Because it's like and you look, you ever like look over you're like, ah. you do that. And you know what they build? <laughs> he doesn't. He's out your husband. Um, they put guardrails there. You know why? It's because they they know that if you go over, it'll be so disastrous. We'll just put a guardrail there. That way, you it, it, even if you slip a little bit, you'll still be safe. But if you slip too far, you're going to hit the guardrail. And at least the guardrail will save you. Are you hearing me out there? Boundaries are like guardrails. They say even when things aren't good and great in the home and in the marriage and everything isn't as peachy as I want it to be. I got guardrails that keep me from falling over the edge. Here, here's some ideas of some guardrails. This is me personally. I don't go anywhere with the opposite sex. I just don't. You will never see me out and about and be like, oh, look, that's Pastor Todd. And who is that? that that's, not, that's not Tara. Who is he with? You'll never see it. I just don't do it. It's just not. I don't care. I don't. It's not worth it. I don't even want to give the hint or thought or suspicion or temptation or, or give my wife the 
Who's he? I never want my, my, as a matter of fact, this is another part of it. Like, I don't ever go places secretively. Does that make sense? I'm never in a place where my wife doesn't know where I'm at. Now, that's not because I'm on lockdown duty. That's just because I care about her feelings. So I just let her know, hey, I'm going here. Hey, I want you to know I'm going to be here with these friends or these people or these or whatever. Hey, here's where I'm going to be later in the day today. I just let her know because she should never sit at home and be like, God has been gone an awfully long time. Where is he at? Uh, Modern communication is pretty fascinating. You know, so if you grew up in the 1800s, you didn't have that luxury. okay? but today, text somebody. It's that easy. Just 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 let them know. Um, no, no secret passwords like, like I'm not against Facebook. I don't think Facebook's of the devil. I, I'm not like that. I have a Facebook, but my wife can go on to my, my wife has everything just so you know, like if I ever disappear, look, look right there first. Okay. Because she has every password, everything. If now, if, if something happens to her, I will be lost in this life. I will be at your house having dinner. And so, but if something ever happens to me, she'll be fine. Cause she knows everything. Um, and so I did, and again, it's just, I, I don't care. I've got no secret. I've got nothing to hide. She has every password, every nook and cranny of my home. I don't have a secret place or a secret thing. I, I, no. In, in the words of, never mind, I won't go there. Um, I, was, I was thinking about a, a certain TV show where there was a person on the TV, TV show and they said, secret secrets are no good. Secret, no, secret secrets are no fun. Secret secrets hurt someone. So anyway, there you go. You learned something new today. It's not even in the Bible. Secret secrets are no fun. Secret secrets hurt someone. Um, you know, be, just be aware. Be aware of what the boundaries need to be, whether that's that secret passwords, where you're being at, who you're hanging out with, all that stuff. All that stuff is left off the table because there is no one more important in my life than her. Does that make sense? If we go back to where we were talking week two, there is no one more important than that person, my spouse, in my life. So nothing is hidden from them, kept from them. I, my life is an open book to them. Does that make sense? Be aware of emotional affairs. They, they many times kind of are the, the pregame show to the actual affair taking place. Hey, beware of predators. Yet you need to be aware that there are certain people and they're, they're just, unfortunately, there are evil people in the world. There are people that all they do, they don't care if you're married or not. They will absolutely do whatever they can to try to manipulate you and to prey on you as a single person or as a married person to try to get you into something. They don't care. I'm telling you, just set boundaries. Be careful. Number six is this. Choose your friends wisely. Choose your friends wisely. If you look the uh, the percentages and do the statistics, most affairs happen with somebody that you are already friends with. So, like, if people that you are friends with don't value marriage like you value marriage, you want to limit the amount of time you spend with them. Doesn't mean you don't love them. Doesn't mean you don't pray for them, invite them to church, be there for them when they need you. But those aren't your closest friends that you invite into the, to the deepest aspects of your soul and invite into your home and spend large amounts of time with or take trips. Of it. No, if they don't value marriage like you value marriage, there's got to be some type of healthy distance there. Choose your friends wisely. And number seven, this is the most important thing. This is the most important thing. You want to you wanna affair-proof your marriage? There's nothing more valuable than your personal relationship with Jesus. There's not. Boundaries? Great. Choosing right friends? Great. Do, do, if you did everything I already talked about, you would probably be great. But I'm telling you, if you did this, all that other stuff would be so absolutely easy and simple. See, I was, I was reading this week, and it was, a, it was a psychologist doing an article on why people have affairs. 
And ultimately, what she got into is that people are dissatisfied in their own soul some way, somehow, whether physically or emotionally dissatisfied, and they go looking in other areas. And she went on to say, and she never gets specific. I don't know if she was a a believer or not. I got the impression that she wasn't. But she went on to say that ultimately, when you need that other person, your spouse, to meet all of your deepest needs, you will always be disappointed because they will never be able to fulfill. And they said, you need to find that somewhere else, which was fascinating to me because I thought, Duh. What psychologists, what you'll find is this, what science and psychology constantly do, they constantly move forward to where eventually the Bible makes more and more sense. So they, 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 they have these breakthrough statistics and studies to show you something that they've been saying for thousands of years. So I'm not mad at them, but they're usually discovering what, what the Bible's been saying for thousands of years. I'm telling you that every one of you has some deep-seated needs. Every human being has four major needs in their life. It's the need for acceptance, Identity, security, and purpose. Those are the four needs that all of you have. And guess what? Your spouse cannot give them all to you. They will never be able to fully give you all those things. They can't. They're not God. They're not perfect. They don't have an endless supply of love and acceptance and strength. They don't have that. And all of a sudden, you go longing in your heart towards that and trying to get that out of your spouse and trying to get that out of another human being. You will be dissatisfied. Here's what I know. When I spend time, if you go back to number seven, when I spend time with Jesus, everything else gets a lot easier. When I am in the presence of God, when I am reading Scripture, when I am filled with the things of God and the strength and the love and the acceptance and the purpose of God, it gets a lot easier. Because it's hard to be in the presence of God and then go yell at my wife. I've never done that before. Now I've yelled, but I've never done, like, been in the presence of God and then go yell. It's hard. You're like, you're just, something's not right. It would be duplicitous. Does that make sense? You can't be following Jesus. You cannot be so absorbed into the things of God and then go that way with your life. You can't. You want to fair proof your marriage? How's your relationship with Jesus? Because if that's there, that will become the foundation to make everything else so much easier. And I want you to know today that Jesus wants to fulfill all those things. That Jesus wants to fully accept you as you come to Him. That Jesus wants to give you that love, that security, that identity, and that purpose. God wants to give that to you. That's what God wants to be in your life. He is El Shaddai. He is the God of more than enough. I mean, like, whatever you need, He got it. And He's got a warehouse with some backups. That makes sense? He's always got it. He don't run out. Doesn't late shipping dates, back order. He don't got that. He is always on time and He has always got what you need. God absolutely loves you and wants to be God in your life. If that's the foundation of your life, everything else gets a lot easier as long as you will move forward with wisdom. Can I get an amen? Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray, God, that... that God, we're going to walk away from this thing a little bit different, God. That we would walk out of these doors. Some of us, we need to walk out convicted. Um, we, we've been moving in a direction, dabbling in a direction. Maybe we've gone too far. God, we need to repent, confess, move back to you. God, we need you to rescue this situation, to heal this situation. Jesus didn't say it was an absolute deal breaker. He says a potential deal breaker. Jesus, I believe you can heal all wounds. And so, God, we need you. God, for some of us, there needs to be some, some repentance towards one another. God, there's some couples in here that... that you, there's not been an affair, but you're just you're, you're, you're kind of living free and loose. And I want you to bring some boundaries in. I want you to be careful who your friends are. I want you to be careful the things that you've got going on in your life. I don't want secrets. I don't want passwords. I don't want hidden friendships, things I have to keep from my spouse. I don't want that. No, no, no. They are the most important thing in your life. There is no one more important on this planet than your spouse. There's not. God, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to use wisdom. 
to have good judgment, Lord God. In the moment of temptation, let us think clearly. Let us see clearly. God, let us remember you. Let us remember our future, our reputation, our children, the, the, the feelings of our spouse. God, let us be clear when the temptation presents itself. God, we pray, Lord God, that you would help us. And God, I just pray a blessing over all of the marriages represented here today, Lord God. I pray a blessing over them. Lord God, I pray that, that they would draw closer to you. In doing so, they would begin to draw closer to each other. That, God, they would begin to love each other with action, even when they don't feel it, Lord God. I pray that, Lord God, every time there's a disappointment, that in the gap, Lord God, they begin to believe all things, hope all things, endure all things, God. Father, I pray that you would protect us. God, there's, there's evil things in play. There's temptation at play. There's, there's predators in play. There's all kinds of things. God, protect us. God, we pray your peace and your blessing over our marriages. And we pray your healing in our marriages. God, we pray that you would help us. God, let our marriages be the light of the world, salt of the earth, like a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Let us show the world what it is to love one another, God. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said.